Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome back to the Der Show. Uh, again, a prediction that I made uh, in writing and on this show and on television has turned out to be true, namely that the Democratic leadership uh, has made the same mistake. I'm sorry, the Republican leadership has made the same mistake that the Democratic leadership made when they uh, twice impeached uh, Donald Trump and twice lost in the United States Senate. Uh, Now the Republican leadership in the House, Kevin McCarthy, has opened an investigation of possible impeachable offenses committed by the president of the United States, uh, Joe, Joe Biden, who is a Democrat, tit for tat. Um, weaponization of the impeachment provision. Hamilton would be turning over in his grave. You know, to to, uh, McCarthy's credit, um, he didn't say that they were impeachable offenses. He said, look, there's a culture of corruption surrounding Biden. And then he pointed to Biden allegedly lying, not under oath, but lying and allegedly covering up for his son. None of them are impeachable offenses. Let's again just remember the Constitution is very clear. The Democrats lied about it and said it wasn't clear. Now the Republicans are going to lie about it and say it's unclear. But the Constitution is clear for anybody who wants to read it uh, in terms of the text and the history. I know I went back and read the entire history. The Constitution limits impeachment to conviction by the Senate, of treason, which is defined in the Constitution, bribery, which is defined in statutory law and in common law, or other high crimes and misdemeanors. Other meaning crimes like treason and bribery, crimes like extortion, uh, crimes like perhaps uh, obstruction of justice, covering up extortion or, or treason or crimes of that kind, but it doesn't apply to creating a culture of corruption. It doesn't apply to lying politically, even if all of these allegations are are proved to be true. It doesn't apply to giving favorable treatment to the president's son uh, in an investigation. Those are all reasons to vote against the president. Uh, Just like the allegations made against Donald Trump were good reasons to vote against Donald Trump. I know they persuaded me to vote against him, and um, I can easily imagine being persuaded to vote against a Democrat if there were allegations proved of a culture of, of, of corruption. But they're not impeachable offenses. They do not subject the elected president of the United States to removal by a vote of the House of Representatives. Now, McCarthy didn't call for a vote. Previously, in many previous cases uh, where impeachment has been sought, um, first, there's a vote of the whole House uh, opening up an impeachment inquiry. And then certain powers are given by the House to the committees to go beyond 
the normal investigative function. Uh, but there was no vote here. There was no vote here for two reasons. Probably McCarthy himself wonders whether there is an impeachable offense, although he's used language suggesting he has a very broad view, inconsistent with the view he took and the Republican leaders took when Trump was impeached. And, you know, the, the other good reason is he doesn't have the votes. Uh, he would not have at the moment the majority to open up uh, a formal impeachment investigation of Joe Biden. Now, obviously, Matt Gates would vote for it. Uh, he's the congressman from uh, uh, Florida who uh, threatened, essentially, McCarthy, saying, you know, if you don't open up an investigation looking toward the impeachment of Joe Biden, we're going to conduct a revolt against you. Now, not a revolt in the 14th Amendment terms, but a revolt in the sense that, as you know, McCarthy was barely elected speaker. He uh, squeaked through on, I don't remember what, but not on, not on the first, second or third vote. Uh, and it's close as to whether the, he has a continuing uh, majority and, and, and Gates basically threatened him and said, look, unless you do this, I'm going to move for a vote and maybe you won't maintain your speaker status. Uh, uh, that was the implicit message. And, and, and so uh, Leader McCarthy took the easy way out. He engaged in a compromise. He said, no, we're not going to have a vote. Uh, we're not going to call for a formal impeachment investigation. What we're going to do is empower committees to open an investigation uh, looking toward the possibility of impeachment. And what McCarthy has said is, you know, he doesn't know essentially if the evidence would support um, a vote for impeachment, but he seems to imply that if the evidence showed a culture of corruption, lying or favorable treatment given to his son, Hunter, then maybe there'd be a basis for impeachment. He'd be wrong if he said that. No, uh, you know, the debate over the impeachment provisions of the Constitution contained many, many proposals. Uh, maladministration was among the most uh, popular. And uh, the father of our Constitution, James Madison, uh, got up and said, no, we, we don't want maladministration to be a ground for uh, impeachment because that would turn uh, the presidency of the United States into a parliamentary system whereby if you have a vote of lack of confidence in the executive, you can get rid of the executive. And in, in, in the London parliamentary system, in the Israeli parliamentary system, and many of the European parliamentary systems, if you have a vote by one vote, uh, showing a lack of confidence, maladministration, an aura of corruption or anything else, you just uh, vote against the sitting prime minister and he's out. Uh, he's no longer prime minister. Um, obviously, Boris Johnson uh, realized he probably couldn't survive uh, such a vote as, as many other prime ministers uh, have done. That's not the American system. The American system is we have a four-year presidency. And the president serves the four years at the will of the people who elected him through the Electoral College. And the only way you can get rid of him during that four-year period is either, either by impeaching him for treason, crimes, uh, bribery, or other high crimes and misdemeanors, or by proving that he lacks the capacity under the 25th Amendment. Of course, the woke radicals uh, and, and Trump haters 
um, on both sides of the aisle are now saying, no, there's a third way you can remove a sitting president. Um, say that he engaged in an insurrection or a rebellion. That doesn't only apply to candidates. Um, if, if, if a plausible case, even an implausible case could be made, that President Biden engaged in that kind of conduct, it would obviously not be permissible under the existing uh, evidence. But you know, you can easily imagine somebody from Texas saying, look at what happened to our borders. It's like an insurrection. It's like a revolution. These people are coming across the border. They're bringing fentanyl with them. They're uh, engaged in sex trafficking. They're engaged in drug abuse. They're engaged in uh, criminal conduct. It's an insurrection. You know, insurrection can be used in its technical terms, which of course define what happened during the Civil War, can be used in its metaphorical and political and weaponized way, which is of course the way uh, Professor Lawrence Tribe and Judge uh, Lutek are using it. There's no insurrection on January 6th and there was no insurrection led by President Donald Trump. It's absurd to think of it that way. That'd be like saying that Martin Luther King led an insurrection in Alabama or in Mississippi, uh, or that the folks who engaged in violent demonstrations after the murder of George Floyd engaged in an insurrection. Um, an insurrection is not self-defining. And again, Professor Tribe in his great wisdom and objectivity, he, he never saw a constitutional right that didn't favor his own ideology. Um, they're prepared to say, doesn't matter what you think an insurrection means, it's self-defining, it's self-enforcing. If we and a couple of secretaries of state in purple states think there was an insurrection or rebellion, revolution, anything like that, well, just take them off the ballot. Doesn't matter what the people want. Doesn't matter what the voters want. Doesn't matter what the electoral college wants. We don't want them. And if we think he engaged in an insurrection or rebellion, that's it. That's the end of it. You know, he can challenge it in court to be sure, but courts tend to stay away from what are called political questions. So this could easily become a substitute for impeachment or disqualification uh, or removal under the 25th Amendment. But we're now talking about impeachment again. I knew we would. Um, you know, when I defended President Trump on the floor of the Senate back in, was it January, uh, end of January, uh, 2020, I think that's when it was, um, I predicted this. I said, I'm not here on behalf of a particular president, Donald Trump or anybody else. I'm here on behalf of the presidency and the constitution. And if impeachment can be weaponized and distorted beyond the words of the constitution to try to remove a Republican president, you can be absolutely sure it will be used by Democrats to try to remove or Republicans to try to remove a Democratic president. And people, you know, shook their heads. But uh, now it's come to pass. Now we see it's come to pass. Uh, fortunately, the House has not yet voted. And my prediction, again, it's a hard prediction to make, but my prediction is probably it won't come to that. I think there'll be enough sensible Republicans, particularly enough who remember what they said um, just a few years ago when they strongly opposed 
the impeachment and removal of President Trump on the ground that he didn't commit an impeachable offense and that you need to have treason, bribery, other high crimes and misdemeanors. There are probably enough Republicans who don't want to look themselves in the mirror and say, oh, my God, you know, we said you needed treason, bribery, other high crimes and misdemeanors. When Trump was in the dock, now can we really change that point of view? And they say to themselves, no, we're not, not, we're not Professor Tribe. We don't change our views of the Constitution with who is being affected by it. We don't read the Constitution in terms of it being a Democrat or a Republican uh, document or a left or a right document. One rule covers all. If it wasn't an impeachable offense for Trump, it's not an impeachable offense for Biden. Um, that's, uh, that's the way principled people uh, operate. Um, but <clears throat> not every member of Congress is principled, but the hope is that there are enough of them among the Republican Party to say, no, no, we're not going to allow uh, the House to do to our political opponent, Biden, what the Democrats allowed the House to do to our political uh, candidate, or then president, uh, Donald Trump. No, we're not playing that game. Democrats can play that game. Professor Tribe can play that game. Judge Ludic can play that game. But we're not doing that. Uh, we have a test, the shoe on the other foot test. If it was not good enough to impeach Trump, it's not good enough to impeach Biden. And if it was good enough to impeach Biden now, it, then it should have been good enough to impeach Trump back then. Indeed, Trump was accused of, in many ways, more serious misconduct than, than, than Biden is being approved of. But all of those Republicans and me and a few uh, principal Democrats said, no, no, we would prefer Trump not be president, but we're not going to allow the Constitution to be abused uh, and distorted and weaponized in the interest of partisan political outcomes. So we'll wait and see. Uh, look, I think there should be an investigation of, um, of Biden. Um, and I think, and I've said this again from for, for many weeks now, there should be a special counsel appointed. There already is one on the issue of the documents and classified material. It's going nowhere. Uh, that's not anything of, of, of serious consequence. But there ought to be a special counsel appointed to look into the relationship between um, President Biden and his son, Hunter Biden, Burisma, the Ukrainian uh, allegations, the laptop, all of those issues deserve to be investigated, not by the House of Representatives looking toward impeachment because they don't suggest impeachable crimes, but by a special counsel who could write a report on it the way previous special counsel have written reports, some good, some bad, better, some better than others. Um, but that's what uh, should be done. And when you appoint a special counsel to investigate the president of the United States, that person, he or she, better be the best special counsel that has ever been appointed. It should be somebody who nobody can complain about, somebody who is a consensus candidate for the job, somebody who, if her name or his name was mentioned, everybody would break out in applause and say, wow, that happened once in our history, not so long ago, at least by my calculation, not so long ago. It's when President Nixon was... Um, essentially impeached, forced out of office because he would have been impeached. And the successor, President Gerald Ford, did a brilliant, brilliant thing 
by appointing Edward Levy, the former president of the University of Chicago, the dean of the University of Chicago Law School, uh, somebody whose politics were really not known to anybody, somebody who was regarded as a person who supported the rule of law over the rule of politics. And he became the attorney general. And um, it, 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 it really helped to make the transition from the nightmare of Watergate to perhaps the, the boring administration of Gerald Ford. But boy, was it a necessary boring administration. I actually hoped when I voted for uh, Joe Biden for president, I hoped he would be Donald. I hoped he would be a Gerald Ford. I hoped he would be a kind of boring, uh, consistent, um, uh, non-controversial uh, person who could be the perfect successor to Donald Trump, who is the opposite of everything I've just said. But tragically, either because of lack of um, uh, uh, the ability to, to be that person on the part of uh, Joe Biden, or because the times have changed. We're a much more divided country uh, today. It's very, very hard to have a conversation today, a conversation today about uh, anything that uh, bears on politics, the Supreme Court, abortion, gun control, gay rights, you name it. It's very, very difficult to have those conversations today. And so it's not clear to me that um, even the best intentioned attorney general of the United States could uh, pick um, a special counsel who would satisfy that test. If I were the attorney general of the United States, I would do it in two steps. I would first appoint a committee of three outsiders uh, perhaps it could include uh, Justice Stephen Breyer, uh, formerly of the Supreme Court, uh, maybe a couple. There are still uh, other living justices, retired justices of the Supreme Court, um, maybe uh, former president of a major university, Stephen Trachtenberg, former president of George Washington University, uh, or, or some others who are, are not known for their politics. And let the three of them then pick the special counsel. That, I think, would satisfy many Americans that the special counsel really can be trusted to apply the law equally, equally uh, to a Democrat president as they would to a Republican president. But I don't think it's going to happen. It should happen. And, and, and I hope that Merrick Garland would consider that because it would really help him save his legacy. It would show that Maybe I was right when I said he would have been a very good Supreme Court justice. I still think he would have been a Supreme Court justice. It's very, you know, first of all, being a Supreme Court justice is the easiest job in the world. Um, you don't have to do any work at all. I know that because Justice Douglas, who was a Supreme Court justice at the time that I was a law clerk, didn't do any work. Um, um, he occasionally would write off the top of his head. He's brilliant an opinion, then he'd go and travel to Tibet or he'd go and walk along the canal. He didn't do any work. Um, he didn't have a nine to five job. He had, you know, an 11 to one job three days a week. Being a justice is a very easy job. You have five law clerks. Um, I'm not saying it, it's, it's much easier than being a senator. Being a final term senator is a very easy job. Uh, being a senator who wants to run for election is a hard job. But senators also have enormous staffs that can do the work for them. 
um, as evidenced by the fact that we have some senators who obviously are not today capable of, of doing the work, uh, and they rely on their staff to do all the work. But being a justice, I think Garland would have actually been a good justice. It wouldn't have tested him. It wouldn't have put him in the position of being an attorney general. The attorney general is the most difficult job you can have in America. Why? Nobody can do it. It's a schizophrenic job. Um, you have to both be the political advisor, cabinet member to the president, highly political, highly partisan. Your goal is to get the president reelected. That's one of your jobs. The second job is to be completely nonpartisan and be the chief law enforcement officer of the United States who can't take into account politics or partisanship. Those jobs cannot be done by one person. In England, there's the minister of justice, the political appointee. Then there is the director of public prosecution. The names change, but that's what, what it is. In Israel, there's the Minister of Justice, and then there's the Attorney General. Attorney General is the objective, neutral person, not answerable to the Prime Minister. Many European countries divide the role, too. But in the United States, it's one role. And I think that uh, Merrick Garland could really reestablish his reputation if he were to appoint a committee of three, give them two weeks, that's all you need, um, to come up with a name, uh, get the approval of that person, and have that person be appointed special counsel uh, with the broadest mandate to look into all the alleged crimes committed by uh, Biden and his son. Um, and if I were Joe Biden, I would welcome that. Because if he's innocent, which I hope he is, um, nothing could be better to clear his name than a special counsel who's non nonpartisan. You're not going to get your name cleared in a partisan context, because even if you know, the Democrats say you did nothing, nobody believes it. The Republicans say you did something, nobody believes it. If you have a special counsel who writes a report, really thorough report, that could really clear your name if you're innocent. So if I were Joe Biden and I were innocent of all these allegations, I would be the first one who would want to have a special counsel of this nature appointed. You know, we're in dreamland. It's not going to happen. Welcome to the world of realpolitik, where we're going to continue to be a divided country where half the country is going to believe that the worst criminal to walk the earth is Joe Biden and his son, and the other half will believe that the worst criminal is Donald Trump, and uh, nobody will change their minds. The evidence won't change their minds. Um, we need objective, neutral, credible individuals looking into this in a nonpartisan, nonpolitical way. Dream on, but look. I'm an optimist. Uh, you've, I've told you this before. An Israel pessimist is somebody who says, oh, they, things are so bad they can't get worse. An optimist says, yes, they can. Um, I'm, um, I'm, I'm both a pessimist and an optimist. Things can get worse and will get worse if we don't uh, combat this woke McCarthyism that we're experiencing today. But things could get a lot better because we're a great country with a great heritage, even though we didn't sing the national anthem at the... Uh, uh, opening of the uh, uh, open tourna tennis tournament, the U.S. Open. But we're still a great country. All right, let's see how great we are when we read some of the letters today. This is a nice one. I am also a professor, and I held classes on 9-11. Uh, that was a 12-hour teaching day for me. I agree with you. That was the day to talk with students. You know, I wish schools would understand the need to have education responsive to the 
the, 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 the focus of the moment, uh, as Oliver Wendell Holmes once said, we must live the passion of our times. And when an event like 9-11 happens, you bring the students in, you don't leave them alone in their dorms uh, to, to make them worry uh, and have nobody to talk to. Okay. Do you think the movie Judgment at Nuremberg is a good example of what happens when the justice system becomes corrupted? Yes, I do. And the hero of the movie Judgment at Nuremberg was my mentor. Uh, and his name was Telford Taylor. He was the chief prosecutor at Nuremberg. Um, and uh, he uh, prosecuted the judges and um, did, a, did a great job. And we became very close friends. He was my teacher in law school. Then we worked together representing Soviet refuseniks and dissenters and, and others. And um, I remained close to Telford till the day he died in his 90s. And he always talked about how uh, the Nuremberg trial showed what happened if you can corrupt the judiciary. And so it's, it's a great movie and it's really, really worthwhile seeing. This is an interesting one. Actually, all cannons were privately owned during the revolution. I don't agree with that. Uh, uh, you absolutely have the right to own a tank. Uh, you have the right and the means to overthrow unjust governments. Uh, no, uh, no, it's a crime to overthrow unjust governments. Uh, how can you have a right when it's a crime? It's in the Constitution. It carries the death penalty. It's called treason. If you engage in treason, you're guilty of a crime. The framers didn't write a constitution to allow the government to be overthrown. Sure, Jefferson uh, wrote a great T-shirt uh, logo, you know, talking about the need. Uh, the tree of liberty needs to be refreshed by blood. But it was a metaphor. He didn't agree with that. He didn't want revolution. He put down uh, attempts at revolution when he was uh, president. And the Second Amendment has nothing to do with the right of revolution because we don't have a right to revolution. Uh, and, and the Second Amendment has to do, if it has to do with anything, is self-defense uh, and maybe hunting. Um, you know, and maybe defense if, if a country, you know, becomes like Nazi Germany and comes after you. But no, it's, it's not part of a, uh, not part of a, a generalized constitutional right to revolt and to overthrow your government. You have no such right. All right. Laugh my ass off in the part about shouting fire in a crowded theater. Never heard it explained like that, but I totally agree. It's a ridiculous analogy for those of you who didn't hear it. You know, I said, there's no argument that shouting fire is, is within is speech. It's not speech. It's bringing an alarm. It's like bringing an alarm into a theater and going, Get out. You know, that's not speech. It's not aimed at the mind. It's aimed at the legs and the adrenaline. So the analogy to shouting fire in the theater has always been absurd. It's the dumbest analogy ever created by a smart man. By the way, it wasn't created by Holmes. It was borrowed by him from the briefs in the case and others who had previously made that wrongheaded analogy. Look back in history, what happened to people who had no way to defend themselves. All right, let's look back in history. Let's look at every country in recent years that did not have a Second Amendment and what happened to them. They became England. They became Sweden. They became Switzerland. They became Italy. They became Canada. We're unique. We're unique in having a, a Second Amendment right. And look what happened to the United States in the first basically 200 years of its existence. We didn't have 
an individualized right to bear arms, just as Scalia says, you know, state constitutions provided it okay, but there was no federal constitutional right that had been defined authoritatively by the Supreme Court to include the rights that you think the Second Amendment and the Supreme Court has now said the Second Amendment gives you. So we have a long history of what would happen if we didn't have a Second Amendment. The answer is nothing bad. Um, your example of Japanese internment just explains the reason why the Second Amendment is so important. So let's understand that. So the Japanese families living on the West Coast, instead of going to detention centers, where, by the way, they increased their, their uh, um, uh, having children, there were more children born, um, they, their health did not deteriorate. These were not concentration camps. These were detention centers. Terrible, terrible, terrible. They lost their jobs. They lost their truck farms. Uh, they were detained. Horrible, horrible, horrible. But, you know, they weren't concentration camps. Um, but what you're suggesting in this letter is they should have taken out their 22s and their handguns, and they should have resisted the order and gotten killed because that's exactly what would have happened. Can you imagine if hundreds of thousands of Japanese Americans shortly after Pearl Harbor had taken out guns and tried to use them against the United States government? That would not have had a happy ending. So be careful what you, what you wish for. If Angela Davis is a civil libertarian, remember I talked about how Chesa Boudin has invited Angela Davis to speak, be the opening speaker at um, his injustice, I think he calls it a justice uh, group at, at Berkeley. Uh, if Angela Davis is a civil libertarian, I have 42 toes, breathe through my ears and one eye, and all can live on a diet of volcanic ash. No, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, there's no way of uh, justifying how uh, students should be exposed to Angela Davis as the official now, I'm not talking about having her as a speaker. I'm happy to have her as a speaker as part of a group or uh, having her one of seven speakers or in a debate. I'm talking about honoring her as the opening speaker for a great new enterprise, uh, the Berkeley Center for Criminal Justice. No, that's not. That's not the right message to send. See you all tomorrow. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.